The title of my message today is A Tale of Two Mothers. It may not be the story that you immediately think of when I mention that title, but I think you'll recognize the story very soon. The king's order was ruthless, beyond cruel. In fact, it amounted to nothing other than genocide and infanticide at the same time. It was, of course, in the best interest of national security. The growth of this hated ethnic group had to be contained. Though their services, especially those of the female servants, were vital to the growth of the economy and the enjoyment of the royal court. But they could not be allowed to overpopulate. And that's what they seemed to be doing. And so the law went into effect. Every male child must be killed as soon as he was born. But the king's plan was thwarted. The midwives, those whom he had assigned to quietly carry out his gruesome order, refused to cooperate. So King Pharaoh enlisted the help of his army and of all the people. And we read in Exodus chapter 2, or chapter 1, verse 22, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. That was the command of King Pharaoh. Now imagine the horror of young mother, Jochebed. My child? My son? Thrown into the river? No, never! And she clutched her newborn infant tighter to her breast. Oh, what a beautiful child he was. More beautiful, she thought, than any son born in all of Israel. Oh, somehow she must save him despite the king's decree. And so she secreted him away. She hid him as best she could. But every day, the guards circled closer and closer. Shh, shh, she whispered. Sooner or later, her crying child would be discovered. Try as she might, she couldn't keep him silent forever. She couldn't hide him forever. After three months, she realized that she could no longer hide him. She was faced with a dreadful decision. Either she could give up her son, according to the law, throw him into the river, or she could hold on to him until he was discovered, and then certainly violently murdered before her very eyes, along with her and perhaps her whole family, for disobeying the king's orders. What a dreadful choice. And so she does the unthinkable. She throws her baby son into the river. No, not quite. She doesn't throw him into the river. But she lovingly, carefully makes a cradle out of the reeds growing on the river's edge. She covers it with pitch, with a little bit of tar and asphalt on the outside. I'm sure she makes a, a soft little bed on the inside. And into this tiny little boat, this tiny little vessel, she places her newborn son, covers the basket with a lid, and slowly makes her way down to the water's edge, where she places her little craft along the reeds of the Nile River. You know, I've often wondered, what did Moses' mother plan to do next? Perhaps she hoped to come back 
Perhaps after nightfall, after the guards had circled and gone away and gone back home, perhaps she planned to come back and retrieve her child. Perhaps secretly she hoped that someone, someone might find the little one and give him a second chance at life. Perhaps only she couldn't bear the thought of watching him die before her very eyes. In any case, only a mother could know how many tears were shed as the grieving mother carefully launched her little craft with its precious cargo into the waters of the Nile River. Were it not for her thoughts of her husband, who even now was laboring in bondage, were it not for her thoughts of her son Aaron, or of her daughter Miriam, who even now was watching breathlessly from the nearby bulrushes, the broken-hearted mother might well have cast herself headlong along with her son into the crocodile-infested waters. It's hard to imagine the lengths to which the love of a mother will go to save her child. See in another Bible story, the Shunammite woman, riding fiercely through the heat of the day after her son had died from a heat stroke, stopping for nothing until she could fall at the feet of the prophet Elisha and plead with him and with God to restore her son's life. See the true mother in the days of King Solomon, who would rather give her living son to her rival housemate rather than see him slaughtered by the king's sword. So on this dreadful day, Jochebed found a superhuman strength, a strength to rise above her motherly instinct, to rise above that instinct to cling to her precious child and in love for him to release him into a world unknown. She cannot stay. To linger would be to place her son in even more danger. Were she to be discovered, so tearfully she retreats to her home, leaving Miriam to watch as the waves gently rock the tiny cradle. This is the story of a mother's love. The story of a mother's love to release, to sacrifice, to let go. But then we find in this same chapter, in Exodus 2, the story of another mother's love. A mother who was not yet a mother. The daughter of King Pharaoh. As providence would have it, have it not long after Jochebed had launched her precious little craft into the waters of the Nile, Pharaoh's daughter, along with her maids, had come down to the river to bathe. You know the story. And as they came down, her, she and her maids were walking along the side of the river. Something caught her eye. Perhaps it was the unusual shape and size of this little craft. Perhaps she heard a faint little cry coming from inside. But she sent her servant over, picked up the craft, and as she lifted the lid and peered inside on that tiny face, and she heard that baby's cry. Her young heart was touched. She instantly read the story. She knew the law. She understood the desperation that some unknown Hebrew mother must have gone through to leave her child in this craft on the Nile River. This is one of the Hebrews' children, I can hear her saying, with tears in her voice. And in that moment, her motherly instinct kicked in. 
and she claimed Moses as her own child. But just then she hears a voice, another little child, a little girl, Miriam. Of course, she doesn't know who or what relation this other child might have. The child just simply says to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from among the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? She's just trying to be helpful. And so Pharaoh's daughter, of course, says, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. What a, what a story. Pharaoh's daughter was not Moses' mother by birth, but in pulling him from the water, in hearing that cry, and in, she took him, she adopted him in that moment to be her own son. You know, many of the greatest mothers in history are such not necessarily because of their role in giving birth to children, but because they have assumed that role of a mother, a leader, a mentor in a time of a person's, a time of crisis in a person's life. I think of the story of one of the great judges of Israel. We find it in Judges chapter 4 and 5. Turn with me over there. One of the great judges in Israel by the name of Deborah. We don't talk a lot about the judge, Deborah, but in Judges chapter 4 and verse 4, it talks about Deborah, who was a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, who was judging Israel at that time. And she sat under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel came to her for judgment. This woman judged Israel in a time and in a culture when women, unlike today, were very much lived in very different circumstances, very much in subjection to the patriarchs, to the male uh, members of the society. And yet here we find a woman a married woman who, not her husband, but her, was judging Israel. Not only did she judge the cases, but it says that even she led the armies of Israel out and led them to a great victory, a great triumph through the time of Israel. And in Judges chapter 5, after this incredible triumph over the forces of Moab, in Judges chapter 5 and verse 7, Deborah speaks of her role. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. Do we have perhaps, even today, mothers among us who are mothers not necessarily because they have raised children. Maybe they have, but more, even more so because they're filling that role of a mother in Israel of a leader, of someone who allows God to love through them as only a mother can, to love those who have no mother, to love those who need that love at that time in their lives. I know we have here today many women 
who are mothers. Some perhaps who are not mothers in the biological sense. But even if you are, perhaps your children are grown. Perhaps you still have that love in your heart to love someone, to love something as only a mother can. Can you be a mother in Israel? Back to the story. The story of Pharaoh's daughter. So she called, she, she heard this little child saying, I'll go call a, a nurse for you. So Miriam went and called, guess who? Her own mother, and Moses' mother, to be a nurse. You see, a mother's love is a love that is willing sometimes to release, to let go. It is a love sometimes to rescue to rescue someone in need. And thirdly, a mother's love is a love to cherish. And now, as Moses' own mother takes her own child back under her care, she loves him, she, has, she cherishes him, and she nurtures him. But it's under strangely, strangely different terms. Though he was biologically her own child by birth, yet she is now under a contract. She's paid wages to care for and to raise her own son. She only has a limited time, for another higher power has claims on her son. All too soon, he would leave her side to join the royal school in the palace of the pharaohs to prepare to be the next emperor of Egypt. What could she do as a mother in such a short time to instill in Moses a sense of his true identity to teach him that though he was now the adopted son of the grandson of Pharaoh, he was truly one of God's own special people. He was a descendant of Levi, of the tribes of Israel, and not of the Pharaohs of Egypt. Now, for a short time, she could tell him. She could speak into his ears. For a few days, if she chose, she could force him to behave and try to force him to believe. But all too soon he would have to choose for himself. All too soon Moses would grow up and would be free to make his own decisions. Good or bad, she would have no control over them. At an early age, Moses left her Hebrew mother, his Hebrew mother's side and enrolled in the schools of Egypt. But he never forgot his mother. He never forgot his people. And most importantly, he never forgot his God. Years later, he would become the great leader used by God to deliver his people from the mighty power of Egypt. We read in Hebrews eleven twenty four through 27 By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith Moses chose, he made that decision on his own. And speaking of choices, I want to take just a moment to 
to digress, so many times in our society, we, I think we tend to blame ourselves for the choices that other people make. If you read on down in the story, and we won't go in through the story that much, but when Moses became of age, though he remembered his people, he started going about their deliverance in all the wrong ways. At once he became a murderer, and he had to flee for his life and spent 40 years in the wilderness. Yes, Moses did choose to make his own decisions. He made some poor decisions, but God used him, despite those decisions, to lead his people, Israel. In the same way, so many of us can look to our children, to those whom we've worked with in different times in our life, and we can be tempted to be so disappointed to blame ourselves for what we did or didn't do. But I look in the Bible. I read the story of Adam and Eve. Their first children. One was murdered. The other was the murderer. What about Adam and Eve themselves? Was God a poor parent to create Beings who would rebel against him? You see, we all have choices to make. But at the same time, we see how the choices, how the, how the rearing of a godly parent can have such a positive impact in the, in the life of their children. We see that in the life of Moses. We see that in the life of Samuel. We see that demonstrated over and over and over again. I could go on. There's so many lessons we can learn from this simple story. But I want to take just a moment, since this is the weekend of Mother's Day, I want to take a moment to talk about my own experience and some of the parallels between this story and my own mother. You know, every mother has choices to make, sometimes hard decisions. But I have to say that I am eternally grateful for the decisions that my mother made, especially a decision that she made the year that I was born. You see, my mom and dad met in Loma Linda, California. My mom had come from Oklahoma and Louisiana and was studying to be a doctor at Loma Linda University. My dad had grown up in Southern California, who's a preacher's kid, studied at La Sierra and had just begun teaching. They were married just before Christmas of 1981. My mom was already struggling at this point with the long shifts and the erratic schedule of her residency. And in early of 1983, she found out she was pregnant. After some long talks and a lot of prayer, she made the decision. She wasn't going to become a doctor. She made the decision to quit medical school and devote her time and energy, for the time being, to being a mother. Just a mother. That summer, my parents moved across the country to Kansas, where my dad had accepted a teaching position in Enterprise, at Enterprise Academy. And in October, I was born. From that day, to my knowledge, until the day that my youngest brother graduated from high school, my mother never worked outside the home. When the time came for me to enroll in school, she took a look at the private and the public schools 
the options that were available, and then she chose to homeschool me. She did the same thing with my younger brothers. And I have to say, she wasn't holding us back. She wasn't holding us out of school. She gave us a first-rate, rigorous, structured education. Any of you that know my mom knows this. It's true. <laughs> At one time, just after I had enrolled in community college, she opened up our home. I think she was feeling the empty nest. She only had two instead of three. She opened up our home to several other families and started a miniature homeschool academy in our living room. I could go on and brag about my mother. Uh, many of you know her. But that's not the point I'm trying to make. My mom sacrificed her career and literally a large portion of her life for me and for my brothers. I owe my success today, where I am, my education, and my career, in a large part my spiritual walk, to her care and her sacrifice. If it weren't for my mom, I wouldn't be who I am today. Now, I'm not perfect. I'm not saying my mom's perfect. But I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for my mother. I think a lot of us could probably say the same thing about our mothers. This weekend, we honor our mothers by remembering them, by giving them flowers, by giving them gifts. But let us not forget just how much we owe to our mothers. Today, we've looked at the story of Moses' two mothers. Both were very, very different, but both were used by God to show their love to Moses in their own unique way. You know, I think if Moses were here today, he would tell us just how much he owes to his mothers, too. Some of you are mothers, yourselves. Perhaps you have young children. Perhaps you're a mother, but your children, has, children have grown and have families of their own now. That's why we call you grandmothers. Some of us here, like myself, will never be mothers. <laughs> <laughs> but we may be called to be fathers. We may be called to be leaders. We may be called to be mentors, to save someone, to rescue a sinking soul. How many little boats are drifting by, carrying a precious cargo? Perhaps you can even hear the voice calling out, rescue me, help me. Who will be the mother to take these in. What lessons can we learn from the tale of two mothers? First, let us love by letting go. At his birth, Jochebed did not let her love for her son prevent her from releasing him into the river. She was willing to let her son go in order to save his life rather than cling to him until his certain death. Secondly, we can love by lending a hand. Moses' adoptive mother had no reason to love him, no reason to care about him. Yet she responded to his cry. She put herself at risk to save the life of a helpless baby in a basket. And thirdly, let us love, let us cherish, let us nurture those around us, like today, as our very last day. Moses' birth mother, when she was reunited to her own dear son, knew that every moment had to count. She improved every opportunity of her borrowed time to teach her son 
in the way of God. What can we do? Can we let our hearts be broken in the service of God? What is your duty today? If you are a mother raising your children, your duty is to be the best mother you can be. If you are a father, the same goes for you. If, you're not, if you don't have anyone who can depend on you, find someone today. Be that mother or be that father, the best that you can be. Let us be the hands and the feet of Jesus today. Loving Father in heaven, Lord, we have seen in the Bible, and Lord, we have seen in our own lives examples, beautiful examples of a loving mother's love. Lord, you've used the love of a mother to describe even your own love. Your love so great towards us that even the love of a mother cannot compare to it. Help us, Lord, each day to show that love to others. Whether we be mothers or fathers, may your love flow through our lives to others, that they may see a picture of you is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.